Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know him. It's unfortunate. He's Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Podcast Go. And this is the Crossover NBA Show. This guy is a freaking joke. Hey, hey, hey. He's here to break down the league. Nah, he's inaccurate. That's probably true. That's fair. But make a game of it. Just take a drink every time Mannix says... I was dead wrong. See? I'm solving problems. Now here's your host. These guys are going to run me into the ground. Chris Chris Mannix. Welcome back to another episode of the Crossover NBA Podcast, another quarantine edition of the Crossover Podcast. Hope everyone is staying healthy. Hope everyone is staying inside as we try to ride out this very tough time in this country. Uh, A little bit of a different episode this week. Dan Pfeiffer is the former White House Communications Director under Barack Obama. He's an accomplished author. He's the co-host of Pod Save America. Uh, and he is a diehard Philadelphia 76ers fan. If you follow Dan on Twitter, a lot of political tweets, but a lot of 76ers tweets as well. So he knows the game of basketball. And that's what I want to talk to Dan about. Basketball had a pretty special place for Barack Obama during his presidency from the Election Day game to players visiting the White House to just drop-ins that people had at the White House. So I want to talk to Dan about the influence that the NBA had on Barack Obama and vice versa, the influence that Barack Obama had on a lot of NBA players during his presidency. We talk about that and much more during this podcast. It is a terrific conversation. 
Uh, I encourage you to listen to it from start to finish. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with Dan Pfeiffer. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Dan Pfeiffer. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play all right dan pfeiffer is here former white house communications director the co-host of pod save america the author of untrumping america a terrific book that's out right now and a tortured philadelphia 76ers fan so dan which of those descriptions would you say you identify with the most well up until about three weeks ago i would say tortured 76ers fan yeah you you have an interesting Twitter feed where it's like ninety percent politics, and then like when Ben Simmons won't shoot a three, it's like like I don't know if people like that follow you fully grasp your Sixers fandom. There's a lot of people who are very confused by um, a lot of my basketball tweets, and it was particularly confusing when TJ McConnell was a Sixer, and I would tweet positive things about TJ McConnell, and just like <laughs> during a game, and I would say McConnell. And I would people would yell at me thinking I meant the senator from Kentucky when I really meant <laughs> the uh, the lifeblood of the process, T.J. McConnell. 
Just just tweet out like great decision made by McConnell there. <laughs> Basically, yes. There were several things that happened, particularly in that very famous uh, TJ McConnell game, the one game the Sixers won against the Celtics a few years ago in the playoffs. Yeah. There were a lot of tweets like that that had people very, very upset with me. <laughs> I have no doubt. Um, I want to get to some stuff about the Sixers, but we, we did this a few years back, and I had a really thought it was really interesting, and I want to revisit uh, some of the things that we that we talked about and you know when i think it was probably four years ago five years ago maybe now um i had this this idea where i was going to try to write a story about how i can about trying to get into the obama basketball game and that election day game became the stuff of legend a lot of white house staffers even some media members uh took part of it i was going to write this whole story about how i tried uh to get into it and it never kind of came together but it's always one that you know you you leave on the cutting room floor that you wish you had back. And I just want to ask you about that game first. Like, how did, you know, that, I guess it started for everybody that know, that knew Barack Obama back in 2015, 2016. But, you know, the origins of that game, what do you remember about why uh, Obama wanted to play basketball on Election Day? Well, basketball had always been an escape for him. And Election Day is this weird day for candidates where there's not a lot you can do. People are already voting. You kind of just have to... You know, you can make a few phone calls, you can do a couple interviews, but otherwise you're just kind of sitting around just watching the clock tick until the votes start coming in. And so the be- for his, Obama's entire life going back to high school, a way to escape, relax, deal with stress was to play hoops. And so he, w- he would do that on election day. And most f- the, the first time that ever happened on election day was on the day of the Iowa caucus in 2008. And Obama won the Iowa caucus, and so that became a tradition for every election day going forward. And it is the difference between when you're a upstart candidate, where the people he played with were just the folks on his traveling team. You know, he traveled famously with Reggie Love, who uh, played basketball at Duke, was on the, na- the 2001 national championship team, and a couple other guys who played recreationally, and a few of his friends from Chicago. And by the time we got to 2012, uh, during the reelect, you had former NBA players playing in that game. <laughs> who? So the process of getting into the game, this is something I never really got deep enough into to fully understand. How did people get into this basketball game? Well, the the election day game would depend on where we were, right? So a lot of 2007, 2008 was just we were just wherever we were, right? We were in Iowa, we were in New Hampshire, Obama was in Chicago. Uh, In 2012, there was only one election and it was in Chicago. It It would be a combination. The two people most responsible for putting people in Barack Obama's basketball games, whether on election day or when he was playing pickup more regularly, were Reggie Love and Arnie Duncan, the former uh, education secretary and former professional basketball player from Australia, would organize Mm -hmm. the teams. And in the normal course of Obama basketball, it would always be the young guys versus the old guys. So it would be a collection of Reggie's friends, people who, you know, mostly former D1 guys who played in D.C., if we were in D.C. or if we were in Chicago, people people knew from Chicago. And then Arnie would put together a team of older guys, mostly former D1 guys, and who would play on Obama's team. And I think almost always the Arnie Duncan-Obama teams won. Arnie Duncan could play, couldn't he? I mean, oh, he was I, a I, phenomenal basketball player. <laughs> And Reggie, Reggie was at Duke, right? He, so he was he had game of his own. He was going to I mean, Arnie was such a good, smart basketball player that he took a bunch of guys to the Goodman League in D.C., which is right. a, uh, for people to know, I would say, very famous amateur outdoor summer league. 
uh, you know, Kevin Durant has played there at times, uh, Ty Lawson, a bunch of local DC folks. And Arnie took a bunch of guys, you know, mostly in their thirties and forties and went out and won a bunch of games there on a nightly basis. And people took a lot of people to figure out who this six, five, uh, white guy was coming out and who was, you know, in his probably late forties at that time and just schooling guys. I mean, he's, he's, a, I think he's, a, he's, a, he's, but I think he's a two time MVP of the NBA celebrity all-star game. He's a, uh, he is a phenomenal basketball player who was destroying DC rec leagues for the entire Obama administration. Did you did you get hit up a lot from people asking to get into that game? Always, people always wanted to play in any sort of Obama basketball game, and it like that is a th- you never want to be responsible for putting someone in that game because I <laughs> was tangentially responsible for one of the great. Uh, tragedies of uh the obama basketball games where a guy that i kind of knew and was from a game that i played in in dc ended up in that game and so he knew me and he's the one who busted obama's nose uh over thanksgiving in 2010 which uh was no one was pleased with and caused a minor media firestorm how much grief did you get for putting that guy in the game? Well, I I was only I was like a third order responsible, so I think Reggie took most of the blame. <laughs> um, but ha- but so I, I but I, I I walked around quietly hoping no one remembered that I also knew that guy. Uh, whenever I went to the Oval Office in the weeks afterwards, because I did I didn't want to take my share of blame for it. So the, the as you said, a lot of people wanted to get into that game. Do you, who was like the highest profile person that was rejected from that game? Any names jump to mind? Well, so the, it kind of went in different. I'm trying to think who the highest profile. I don't know who the highest pers- profile person who was rejected would be. Many, many members of Congress wanted to play and play <laughs> with President Obama. And I don't think anyone ever did. And there was a period of time where in his sort of in the he kind of mostly retired from pickup ball in the latter half of the presidency, just as he become was, as he felt he was getting older and more afraid of injury. Um, mm. Where he, whereas he described it to me once the, the, as, as you get older and you get slower, the enjoyment of the benefits of playing uh, start to um, be the, I'll put it this way, the risk of injury become exceed the benefits of playing. Uh, but in the early days he would, um, like particularly in the off season, they would invite some NBA players to play in him. Uh, Kevin Durant famously played, uh, I think before either his rookie year or before his rookie year came and played in a game. Uh, this is, there's a infamous story that I don't know. I can't swear is true, but that John wall slept through his, uh, presidential basketball game. Oh, that man. story, that story has been going around the white house in DC for years. Um, but yeah, he would lots of players. The most famous player who ever played in a, uh, in an election day game, which were always a little bit more of a ceremonial affair than sort of regular, you know, a regular Saturday run that the president would have was Scotty Pippen played in the game, um, on election day in 2012 with his I'm, son, I believe. I'm going to have to ask John wall about that story. See if he'll confirm that yeah. one for me. The, the, so when did NBA players start to get involved and did, did you guys recruit these NBA guys to play? Did Obama ask these NBA guys to play or, or somewhere other? It was sort of like Obama, obviously, be you know knew some of these guys certainly the Chicago guys from when he was a senator when NBA teams would come to town a lot of them would come toward the White House and and if Obama was around he'd come say hi to them some of them would get involved uh, through their foundations or their charitable work with stuff Obama would do you know stuff with the White House would do like 
you know, mentoring programs and getting people to sign up for healthcare and that sort of stuff. And Obama would get to know them. Um, and a lot of them would get in contact with Obama through Reggie Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was sort of the most famous example of people playing with Obama was on his 50th birthday, uh, for his 50th birthday, Reggie and Obama's friends put together a game with just every NBA player you could imagine to come play. And so in that game was LeBron, LeBron, Chris Paul, uh, Derek Rose, Joakim Noah, Shane Battier, uh, Alonzo Mourning came out of retirement for it. Magic Johnson came out of retirement for it. Um, like just all, just a, probably like a dozen NBA players. Maya Moore played in the game. Kobe came, but was injured at the time. So he stayed, he and Bill Russell watched the game and it was like a mix of NBA players and Obama and his regular, uh, sort of his friends from high school. He plays high school team mostly. And they went back and forth for, you know, a couple hours on, on the day of Obama's birthday playing basketball. Then there was a big birthday barbecue afterwards that all the players came to. Uh, Alonzo Mourning came out of retirement for the Obama game. Magic Johnson comes up. Do you ever, when you're watching this stuff, I mean, I don't know how many you watched firsthand, but like, do you ever marvel at, I mean, it's a pretty impressive collection of talent that's just there to play pickup basketball. I I went a bunch of, they invited a bunch of uh, staff and Obama's friends and and a bunch of these DC kids who were who were met, they were part of the White House mentorship program to come watch the game, and a lot of uh, White House staffers brought their kids. And I remember, and no one told the kids what was going to happen. I remember uh, the son, he's probably seven or eight years old, of one of my colleagues in the White House shooting. He was on the court before everyone came out shooting baskets, and he's wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey and he misses the shot and it sort of rolls and the door opens from what essentially was the the locker room, people coming out to the gym and Kobe walks out and picks up the ball and throws it back to him. And the look on the kid's face, just he <laughs> could not believe it. And like, like that, though, that, that was the only uh, game I ever saw where NBA players played with Obama. And it, that was an amazing, it was like fun, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would, the only people who played super competitively other than Obama was uh, Chris Paul, obviously. And, uh, and Shane Battier decided that he needed to show Reggie Love who's boss a couple times since they played on that Duke team together. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty fun, uh, you know, pre uh, Elam rule, uh, all-star game. <laughs> so that, that was kind of my next question. The, you know, the, the level of competition when a player is either staring down Obama or vice versa, if like on a scale of one to 10, if one is like the guys playing golf with Kim Jong-un in North Korea, kicking the ball onto the fairway or 10 being game seven of the NBA finals, <laughs> where would you put the, the competitiveness in those situations? I think it really depends on the self-awareness of the person playing. <laughs> like a self-aware person covering Obama would cover him enough to like play real. Like, I think he would be sort of like you would play your Saturday pickup game with your friends, right? Like you care if you win, but not so much that you might hurt the person. Um, and sort of famously in that first 2008 Iowa game, Alexi Janoulis, who was the state treasurer of... Illinois at the time and had played professional basketball in Greece. And I can't re- I think he played it Northwestern maybe or somewhere like that. Like he's a legitimate serious basketball player, uh, busted, uh, one of Obama's ribs, 
uh, going to the basket. And that was always sort of the rule going forward was don't pull an Alexi. And like, <laughs> like winning was important, but if you hurt Obama, uh, that was, that was, that was gonna be a bigger problem for everyone because, you know, once the game's over, you still got to go back and be president. It's hard to do that with a broken rib or a broken, you know, you break the guy's nose. He's got to potentially give a nationally televised address the next day. You never know. Does that, I mean, that might give him some street cred though. Like if you have a yeah. busted nose from playing pickup, yeah. a lot of well, people like, can relate you, to that. Have you ever played hoops on someone's wedding day? Right. Ooh, like, yeah. like, like that's a, like that, like I've, a lot of my friends that I grew up uh, playing basketball with on their wedding day, cause they don't, you know, they play basketball instead of golf. And if you're ever covering the groom, your goal is to get out of there without <laughs> busting his lip, busting his nose, you know, hit it, give him a black eye. And so I think that's a little bit that you take the wedding day basketball, wedding day basketball game level approach to covering the president, which is you don't want to get embarrassed. You want to give him the competition he wants, but you definitely do not want to uh, disfigure his face. You know, you, you mentioned the busted rib and the busted nose. Like I would imagine even worse could be like an Achilles tear or an ACL injury that, that prevents, you know, a guy that gets around a lot from, from getting around. How much as a communications director, did you worry about stuff like that? (laughs) No, I think, I didn't. I don't know that I worried about it a ton. It is why he. The, I think the Achilles primarily is the re, is one of the main reasons why Obama started playing much less. Was just that that fear of the injury. Like that's the injury that every you know weekend warrior basketball player fears because it's you know a year in a walk in a cast basically, and it's the hardest mm-hmm. one and the most painful one to come back from. And almost anyone, and Obama included, who's played a lot of basketball, has been on the court when someone has popped their Achilles, and it's one of the most gruesome things you will see. And like that would be, you know, a, a, a busted nose or a black eye would be painful for him, and you know, sort of weird for his national television interview. But it's like a story, like for mm-hmm. any other basketball player. But if he were to bust his Achilles, it would be hard. Achilles would be hard to travel. It would limit a lot of what he could do in his job. And that would be very like, I'm that's something I know he thought about a lot, uh, which is why golf eclipsed basketball at the end of the presidency as his most frequent, um, athletic relaxing activity. I can't imagine Kobe Bryant ever backing down from Obama, even, even in the situations yeah. that he knows he in. I just can't imagine it. Yeah. I can't imagine Kobe backing yeah, down. Yeah. That was sort of the, that seemed to be the approach Chris Paul took in the Obama presidential game too, <laughs> which is like, it's all fun and games unless the, there's a certain set of people who can't turn it off in that moment. And I, I am positive Kobe would be one of those people as well. Was Obama a trash talker out there? Yeah, he was, he was, I think a good natured, you know, fun, uh, you know, weekend pickup games for a trash talker, but yeah, for sure. And I, I can't remember if I've told this story the last time we were on the podcast, but he, I remember uh, very early when I was working for him and we were traveling in New Hampshire together and we were waiting for an event to start. I think the event was outside. And so we were waiting like while the pre-program was happening and like the local congressman was speaking or something, we were in a, uh, it was a gym, a high school gym and there was a hoop there and a ball and Reggie Love and I started shooting. And so like I went and I had not played in, I'd had a high ankle sprain. I hadn't played in like three months and and I was also wearing a suit and dress shoes. And so, and I was not ever a particularly great shooter, but like I went around like, like Reggie and I were shooting and rebounding each other. So I, I basically hit like seven in a row going around the arc and Obama started watching, which made me quite nervous. <laughs> and, but so, but I was still fortunate, like for reasons that I cannot explain making them. And when it was over, when I finished, Obama was like, 
Hey, Pfeiffer, that's a pretty good shot. Kind of slow, though. Not sure you could get it off in a game. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, did I need that? Come on, man. I just made seven threes in, with, in a suit. Like, back off. Just criticizing in the moment. Yeah, very, like, very competitive in that sense, yes. <laughs> you know, it's it's very clear for the people that, you know, that watched his presidency that his, his a connection to sports was really strong. But it, it always seemed like the connection to basketball and the NBA in particular was the strongest of them all. Is that is that fair to say that that the NBA was the league and the sport that Obama gravitated towards the most? Oh, a hundred percent, right? Basketball first and NBA above. And he'd watch any basketball, college, NBA, whatever, but it was the NBA, right? And I think part of that is living in Chicago in the nineties, um, for the for the entire Jordan run. And so that's a big part of it. But he he loved the NBA. It's what he watched to unwind. It was the the athletes he grew most close to and, and spent the most time with. I think it's where he felt the most. It was his sport. You know, he didn't play football. He didn't play baseball, but he played basketball his whole life. And so that was his connection always. And I, I'm not sure there was ever a time that we would fly home on Air Force One during NBA season because uh, we're always flying home at night and that there wasn't an NBA game on the TV in the in the conference room where he would hang out on the trips home. Have you what's the most upset you've seen Obama at an outcome of a game? I think it was probably and I don't think we want like for most of our presidency, the Bulls, other than that one Derek Rose run were sort of a mediocre team and that's who he lives and dies with. But the year that they I guess it was the it must have been 2009 the whatever there was some playoff series where the Bulls or maybe 2010 2010 it must have been um the Bulls had a series I can't I can't, I wish I could remember what this was but they were like they were super underdogs they it went to overtime several times and we all got together and watched game 5 which I think mm-hmm. was the decisive game back then and the Bulls lost and he was quite displeased with that <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, everybody knows about the publicized visits, the White House visits by world champions. Um, but when it comes to NBA players, I mean, were there like drop-ins or things like that when, oh, yeah. when players came all the to time. town? Yeah, all the time. When, pe- when players would come to town, they, you, you know, like, as I mentioned, they would often uh, get a tour of the White House, just a pl- like just the players would come and Obama would usually drop in. They would, every once in a while you would see, you know, there's some he grew Closer to over time, he developed friendships with, you know, he and Alonzo Mourning, like the Obama family and the Mourning family became quite close. Uh, Mourning golfed with Obama a lot. They spent time in Florida together. Uh, You know, Steph Curry and Ray Allen golf with the president on a fairly regular basis. Um, uh, Greg Popovich went in town, would often have lunch with Obama. Like that happened a few times over the years. Like that, like a thing that Obama quickly realized was as president, you can have lunch with anyone you want. And there would be people like Popovich who we found super interesting, who would be, who, if they were in town would come by and hang out for a little bit. And so, yeah, there, there were people always kind of hanging around, um, you know, or they had family in town, you know, sometimes people wanted, you know, some of these athletes would have their family around and would want to introduce them, show them the white house. And, and if Obama was around, he would say hi. And so you saw it, you saw it a lot, even beyond just, you know, the annual visit of the champions, you know, thinking about it, th- those those Bulls years from like 2010 to 2013, those must have been crushing for a Yeah, those I mean, were those were, those were hard years. Yeah, <laughs> those were but the Derrick Rose injury. I mean, I, I for a Bulls fan, I must I got to imagine that was that was tough. That, that I mean, there was really there tough. was 
there was a this is like Obama learned over the years that you you like being president and being a fan are not necessarily you can't be a normal fan when you're president. And I, when he was running for president, we were in New Hampshire doing an interview with a local reporter like a day or so after this must have been the O seven draft. And the reporter at the end just asked Obama as a fan, like, what did he think of the Bulls pick? And that was the year the Bulls picked Noah. And Obama, as a fan, like a lot of, if I remember, Bulls fans at the time, thought it wasn't a great pick because it was duplicative of Tyrus Thomas, who they'd taken the year before. Um, And Obama said that, and it made a lot of news, both in Chicago and in sports. And I think Noah had been a uh, supporter of Obama, and I think he'd even done an event with the, or had somehow had some connection to the uh, Florida Gators for Obama or, you know, grassroots organization. And so he realized that you can't just pontificate on draft picks without some consequences when you're president of the United States. Oh, must have been crushing for Joe Kim Noah, yeah. like the ultra competitive guy to hear yeah. Barack Obama say you, duplic- you were a duplicative, I guess is the right word there yeah. uh, for that. You know, one one thing we're seeing and have seen has been the the effectiveness of athletes as messengers. I mean, even recently watching the Instagram live thing Steph Curry did with uh, Anthony Fauci um, on the coronavirus. I mean, a lot of people in different demographics watched that. It, it seemed like during the Obama administration, you guys benefited from that, like that these athletes and NBA players in particular that Obama grew close with, they became really effective messengers uh, with for various things. I mean, was that something you think that just happened organically or was there kind of a mindset there, like these guys could really be be useful in in delivering the kind of messages we're looking for? It was sort of a merging of two things, which was sort of our understanding of how media worked in the best, you know, Obama needed young people to win elections. And so we spent so much more time than any previous politician had done. And how, how do you, how do you reach young people? And one of the ways in which you do that is through influencers, right? And so that was happening and and athletes and NBA players in particular, because they're the most famous of all American athletes. Uh, you know, obviously in the high on that list, but it also, we were in office at the same time. And I think these things may be somewhat interconnected as NBA players sort of transition from the Republicans buy sneakers to mentality of uh, Jordan in the eighties and early nineties to LeBron and D Wade and all these other people who were taking public stands on important issues of race and class and and social status and there was a merging there where you know we Obama had the president had a big program to mentor young African American men and obviously when you're looking to reach that group of people NBA players are a great opportunity to do that when you're trying to get young people to sign up for the Affordable Care Act NBA players are a great great to do that because they they break through their trusted um, listen to you know role models for a lot of people and the the combination of that desire from the players that influence that they have and Obama's relationships with them made it so they could do lots of like fun and interesting things there are like a gazillion videos with Steph Curry and the first lady promoting healthy eating and exercise that people loved and that that was a big thing and it's it was I was ex- really excited to see uh, Steph do that video without you because it's a great way to reach a group of people who may be the hardest to persuade to stay indoors and do social distancing and do all the other things we need them to do to keep everyone safe. 
I agree. I think they reached a a demographic that may, you could do a hundred press conferences and not reach that demographic in the way that they did um, in that Q and A. Uh- there are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge, or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum! And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play uh there has been speculation that that obama might one day you know want to be involved in sports in the long term like own an nba team or become a sports commissioner can you see a future for him in a sports capacity oh i'm sure i you know i would if i was betting i would say um you know part owner of a team would probably be very interesting to him more than the day-to-day running of a sports league which seems uh, like you have to like a very hard job where you have to do the bidding of, you know, 30 or 32 very um, uh, self-confident team owners. Um, and so I don't know that he's signing up for dealing with James Dolan on a regular basis, but uh, being the, but I could, I would, I would be, I would not be shocked to see if, you know, sometime, some number of years down the road, Obama were to be part of a group that bought a team and him being a pretty public face of that team, promoting the team, being involved in the philanthropic and community efforts of that team. Um, you know, cause it's sports is very important to him, both as, as entertainment, but also as a connection between people in this, in this very divided country. How do you think he would do as, 
as kind of a visible owner of a team because it's not been the easiest transition for visible athletes. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan has struggled at times in his ownership role. Uh, I've watched in a different role, Derek Jeter certainly struggle in Miami and come under harsh criticism for some of the decisions he's made. Uh, do you think Obama could handle the scrutiny of like, you know, why didn't you pay, I don't know, X player next to $5 million? I think if I were to guess the sort of owner he would be, it would probably be closest to Steve Ballmer, which is someone who has succeeded at an incredibly high level in a, at a, in a different organization and sort of took as one of the leadership lessons from that, which is you surround yourself with the absolutely best people you you can, and you go out of your way to get the best people and then kind of let them do their work. And you sit above it and you will, you will set strategy. But I think one of the things pre- good presidents learn is to is to know what they don't know. And so I could see Obama being involved in like in broader picture strategy and thinking through and helping have a process whereby a team came to a good decision but not overruling the uh you know, overruling the analytics team to take a you know a, a six seven big man with short arms or something, right? So I <laughs> I, th- I think he would be uh, I think he would be an excellent owner because I actually think because he would listen to his team and he would re- and he would have the ability to recruit the absolute best team of uh, coaches and you know GMs and business people and everything that makes it makes up a good team and, I th- and that's what at least from afar it seems like Ballmer has done with the Clippers. No, I think that's exactly what he's done. I mean, he fleshed out that staff with some of the best minds in all of basketball. He provided them with the resources. Then he, you know, sat on the sidelines and became the most demonstrative owner I've seen in the league so far. Yeah. So if we get, a little I think bit of Obama that, would be would be less demonstrative on the sidelines <laughs> than Bomber for sure. But I think they would bring a similar approach to owning a team. So he wouldn't jump the trampoline and dunk at uh, in between quarters. That seems unlike the Obama I know, at least. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. Uh, All right, I want to ask you about the Sixers. I know there are members of that organization that listen to this podcast on a regular basis. You're a a Sixers super fan, uh, have been for as long as I've been following you on social media. Uh, If the season is over, Dan, if this is it, there's no rest of the NBA season, if you're the Sixers in the offseason, what do you do about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? I think you have to keep Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid together for at least another couple of seasons. You've got to give it a chance. Like, they haven't actually had a chance to succeed because they've never built a full team around the two of them. They've built half a team around Ben and half a team around Joel, and it has not, it certainly did not work this season for at least what we saw of it. And so I think you absolutely have to keep them together. You both, you have them both under contract, and it's the pieces around that you have to figure out. And I, I fully understand that their options are pretty limited there with some of the contracts, but like you were the, the, what we saw from Ben this season, I mean, here you have someone who, if you were to vote today, it would probably be in the top three of anyone's defensive player of the year um, Mm -hmm. voting who really, I think, I think he really improved this year in a lot of ways. Obviously not in the one that people care about the most, but he became a, a much better player in a, what I thought was a very difficult situation. And he made, even in our very frustrating shortened season, made tremendously big plays at the biggest moments, particularly on the defensive on the defensive end, and you you want to keep that. And I don't think you could get real value for Simmons now. I think it's the pieces. If you want to have a team with Ben and Joel, you have to have shooting, and you have to have another primary ball handler, which and they do not have either of those right now. 
It's a great point because I I wondered from from a journalist perspective from afar why they broke up last year's team after you know a Kawhi Leonard four bounce three pointer is what knocked them out of the playoffs and you know they all the things you mentioned they had another ball handler in Jimmy Butler they had a premier shooter in JJ Redick I mean as a fan how, how did you feel about the overhaul that took place last year Well you know I I convinced myself that I thought it could work and it. And I understand. I actually understand why they made all the decisions they made, but they added up, at least thus far, into an unsatisfying product. And I understand, especially after listening to uh, Jimmy Butler's interview on JJ Reddick's podcast, that bringing him back wasn't really an option. I think, and certainly giving him a five-year max was not a great idea. And so Butler was probably going to leave under all scenarios. And I think it's fair to ask. Do you pay $18 million a year for J.J. Redick, where you have uh, Ben Simmons' cap situation kicking in next year? Like It was easy to pay J.J. 20, $22 million a couple years ago because you were under the cap. And mm. and now like that's a question. And I, under, I understand the logic of the Horford signing, because if you look at the on-off numbers for Joel, particularly in the playoffs, the Sixers got destroyed when he wasn't on the court. And you were sort of like, it's half joking, but you were sort of paying Al Horford for two things, one for playing for the Sixers and two for not playing against the Sixers. And so you understand, I understand how they made that decision. I think the, the problems with it and, and get, if you're going to lose Butler, getting Josh Richardson back on a great deal is great, right? Like that's better than just losing Butler for nothing. Um, And, but the problem is all those pieces don't fit together. And because of injuries, they have they have played almost no time together, and so it did not. They didn't. I think it, the piece it just did not work. And so the question is, what do you do now? You know, what can you? You know, is there something that can be done with either the Horford or Tobias Harris contracts? That seems very challenging. You know, do you have assets to that you can put put with those contracts to move them. That was sort of the problem with the Tobias Harris contract. Tobias Harris deal was it emptied our once very full uh, cabinet of draft picks. And so I think they're, they're in a, I mean, in some ways they're in a tough position. The thing I always have to remind myself is as someone who went through all of those, you know, uh, sub 20 win seasons and all through the process is the Sixers, we're going to win 50 games for three seasons in a row and be a legit playoff contender, even if this season was frustrated and the Sixers. And so you act like it's still, we're still much better than we thought we were before. It's just the frustratingness is that we've, it seemed like we had everything going for us. I mean, I remember you and I talking, it was right after the Sixers lost that series to the Celtics and mm. And both of our both of our teams were in very the Celtics and Sixers were in very different places back then. And you know, Kyrie and Horford were coming. Kyrie and uh, and um, Gordon Hayward were coming back. That amazing Sacramento Kings and Memphis Grizzlies picks were going to be there for the Celtics. <laughs> and the and the Sixers had a bunch of picks. And we you know and Fultz was still potentially something that w- could turn into something good if not great. And you know, that we're in a very, very, very different world now. And the thing I do, and then I can stop ranting about the Sixers, <laughs> I have thought about where the Sixers went wrong is they tried too hard to win a championship too fast. And where like you there was a world in which you could have suffered through some more bumps and let Ben and Joel 
and Covington and kept JJ around and let the in Dario Saric. Like those are like that was a really good young team you could have let and you could have added some players to that, like some veterans to it, but without mortgaging the future for Butler, then Tobias Harris, and then Horford, right? Where you could have you could have tried to build around the younger team and try to do something more akin to what um some other teams that are more um you know that are more willing to have sustainable success even if it doesn't produce a championship. And I do think mortgaging all those assets at a time in which you the Warriors were still around as we knew them was sort of foolhardy. Like it's not even clear that getting Butler, even if we had gotten Butler and Harris and you would play the healthy Warriors, this that Sixers team would probably not have beaten them. Um and so we sit here now and I do wonder what's going to happen if the season does not come back. Yeah, they'll have some interesting decisions to make. I think the Butler decision they made last summer will be one of those what ifs that you have to watch because you're right, it would have taken a five-year deal to get Jimmy Butler to stay. But if he stays in Miami and gives them like four all-star level seasons, you know, that could just be one of those head scratchers that you say, if we'd done that, maybe things would have turned out uh, a little bit differently. But let me ask you before um, I leave the Sixers here, Brett Brown, part of the solution or part of the problem? I think I love Brett Brown. I think he is one of the best people in the NBA. I think he the what he did over the many years he's been in Philadelphia in terms of developing players, holding a team together when they're when they have no talent and are just this like roving rotating cycle of G League players is and and to be around to turn this team into something that is a legitimate finals contender over a couple year period is pretty amazing. And I, the thing I, and I think, I think NBA Twitter and NBA media is too hard on Brett Brown because they blame him for everything and don't ever put it in the context of the, like what the hand he's been dealt, right? Like he had mm-hmm. five different teams last year. He's got these pieces that he did not pick that don't fit together. Um, Joel being injured all the time, like like he's just, like the hand like he has succeeded. He has played a a very difficult hand very very well. I think the question now after this is has in watching this season, and I've watched some of, if not all of every game this season, is has he? There's always a time when a coach's time runs out, right? Where they no longer have the influence on the team that they had before where sort of, you know, it's just like they've worked together too long and that may be the case here. And I think that's probably best manifested itself in the fact that Brett Brown has asked Ben Simmons to shoot a couple threes a game. And Ben Simmons has not shot a three in a game in months after, after that and without doing it. And that to me, says that there's a chance he maybe has lost the locker room. And if that's the case, then I think they have to move on. I just, for everyone who's always like fire Brett Brown, fire Brett Brown, my argument always is who is the coach? Who are you going to hire? Right. You're not getting like, I think he is in the upper tier of coaches. I don't think he is, you know, Spolstra or Carlisle or Popovich or Kerr, any of the people we generally think are Stevens who we think of as the best coaches in the league, but he's much better than the worst coaches. And so who are you getting, right? Who is the person who it's not obvious that there is a Nick, there's not a Nick nurse on that staff. Who's waiting to step in there. Maybe if Lloyd Pierce was still there, we might feel differently, but so if he has to go, the question will be, 
who you're going to replace them with isn't going to be someone who is enough of an innovative, you know, progressive offensive mind that you can do something with these somewhat ill-fitting pieces uh, to make make the offensive production of the team more consistent, particularly in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that Brett Brown is. You know, I don't look at him as an elite game manager, one of the better X's and O's coach in the league, mm. but there has been incredible roster turnover there. At, at some point, you can only succeed with the ingredients that you have. And there's not a coach in the league that could take a team to a championship that doesn't have shooting, and they don't have yeah. shooting. So ultimately, it comes down comes down to that with, with Brett Brown. Um, before I let you go... The, the, you're obviously much more plugged into what's going on in the political sphere that most of my listeners are at this point. I know a lot of people listening are just hoping and praying that there's some way the NBA can come back and that sports can can ultimately come back. And I'm sure they're confused, you know, a lot of them watching on TV, hearing the president say, you know, first it was come back at Easter, but then he's backed off that. We've got to get things back going again. You know, where do you see the line being? How do how do sports come back safely in this country and and is there any way to determine when that should be? I I think there may be a time to determine where games could resume without fans in the audience. I think that is something that could be potentially be possible over the summer. It would require a massive amount of logistics from the NBA. I've I've heard report I'm not a huge soccer fan, but I've heard reports about the Premier League talking yeah. about something like this where you would quarantine all the players together for a 14 day period. So to ensure that everyone involved was uh, was not carrying the virus. And you could theoretically do that in the NBA. I think we are a long way away from anyone thinking it's a good idea to put 18,000, 25,000, 80,000 people in one space together. And so mm-hmm. I think we could get sports on TV. I think you can figure it out, particularly in basketball where you're talking about, you know, 24, 26 players, you know, another dozen or so coaches, trainers and staffs and then some referees. Like there's probably a way to do that. I mean, watching these guys play in an empty arena without fans would be such a weird situation. Like, would they play music the whole time? Like, it just seems so... <laughs> it would be like all those Chris Brickley videos, I guess, but it with uniforms. <laughs> and so... Um, but I think you could see that happening. But I just, like, I keep thinking about the fall, right? Where they think where they think this could come back, this virus could come back. And the idea that, you know, 100,000 college students are going to go to the big house in Michigan just seems impossible for me to imagine just the... The, the legal risk for putting that event on and what could possibly happen from that is I think we're all, I think it'll, we, I'm not sure we will have sports as a in-person viewing experience as we, as we, as, as we have commonly understood it until there's a vaccine for the coronavirus and whether that could be eight months from now, a year from now or longer than that, it seems unduly risky to do undo all the work we've done by having people get together. There was this story in the New York times last week about they call it game zero, but it was a soccer game in Italy where just like, I think it was 80,000 Italian and Spanish fans all got together. And they believe as they've gone back and traced where a lot of the spread of the disease in those two countries came from that game. Cause all these people were in the same place for a long time. And so mm. you worry about that happening in the U S and so I think we can see sports again. And I, for my own personal sanity, hope that, it comes back um, in some way, shape, or form, but in the way in which you've understood it, I think we're a ways from that. 
We still we still can't get people to stop congregating in the U.S. right now. I mean, it's it's wild, yeah. you know, scrolling through Twitter and reading about the church in Florida or Liberty University and and all these people that just don't seem to don't seem to get it that that there has to be a sacrifice everywhere for this to uh, to ultimately stop. You, you you experienced Dan a bunch of things from the inside, whether it was the economic crash in '08 and into '09 and uh, the the global pandemic of the Ebola virus. Um, you know, how bad is this compared to everything you've experienced? I mean, where, where does this, how, what kind of context can you give me about just how bad this is? This is the worst. This is worse than anything we experienced in 2000, between 2008 and 2016 in the Obama White House. And it's not even close. I mean, we're going to be like, I don't want to be overly dark about this, but the death toll of Americans is going up exponentially. And so the, it is likely that by the middle of this week, or by the middle of this week, we will have surpassed the number of dead on 9/11. And if it follows the models people talk about, we will be having a you know a 9/11 level of casualties every day for potentially weeks or months on end. And the, like, there's nothing like I was there for the H1N1 flu. I was there for dealing with Ebola in Africa, and you're right, the economic the economic crash of 2008 and this is far beyond anything that has happened, I think, in American history since World War II, in terms of its impact on day-to-day American life. Like the, I mean, the economy has stopped, right? Like mm. there were three, three million people who filed for unemployment last week. That is four times bigger than the biggest week of people filing for unemployment since they started recording. Uh, so like almost 100 years. And so like we... And in fact, people aren't leaving like there. Yes, there are people who aren't doing the right thing. But I think the majority of Americans are have been sheltered in place for weeks now. And this is mm. a fundamental change to American life. And the the scale of the challenge, the both getting out of it immediately and then digging out of the economic hole, I think, are far exceed anything that we ever confronted in the Obama administration. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, you just hope for the best, I guess. And uh, yeah. you know, people keep doing the things that are doing to try to flatten that curve as as everybody talks about hopefully we can get back to to watching sports at one point and dan i can see your twitter feed uh getting angry at things non-political and more like uh angry at some sort of pick and roll play that brett brown called out during game six of the playoffs or something yes yes i I would like to get to the point where i could continue to watch the sixers who score on a pick and roll play for the first time in five years which i think has never actually (laughs) happened so uh I like that is what I look forward to. I look. I want to go back to screaming at the TV in the fourth quarter of Sixers games. That'll be my return to normalcy. <laughs> I love it. Hey Dan, it's all, always fun talking to you, man. I appreciate taking some time to uh, to do this. Absolutely, you stay safe out there. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.